Welcome to Tour Today Ministries in our continuing series, The Hebrew Key, wherein I take a Hebrew word or phrase that, as a key, unlocks a passage, an insight, or something that is hidden in the scriptures that's worth opening up. And uh, I hope you're blessed by this episode because this is something I stumbled across years ago and um, it's just meant a lot to me. It's something I've meditated on many times and thought back to and, and uh, God has used as a reminder in my own life. So I hope it's a blessing to you the way this, this insight has been a blessing to me for so long. So I call this Purified Lips and it's based on the golden menorah in the tabernacle. You may be wondering, well, what does a menorah have to do with lips? Well, just stay tuned and let's take a look. We're going to begin the study in the description of the golden menorah that is found in Exodus 25, starting with verse 31. And now, instead of reading through the entire detailed description of the construction of the menorah, we're going to read verses 31 and 32, and then, for the sake of brevity, skip on down to verses 38 through 40. So this is what we read. You are to make a menorah of pure gold. It is to be made of hammered work. Its base, shaft, cups, ring of outer leaves, and petals are to be of one piece with it. It is to have six branches extending from its sides, three branches of the menorah on one side of it and three on the other. Make seven lamps for the menorah and mount them so as to give light to the space in front of it. Now, on to verse 38. Its tongs and trays are to be of pure gold. The menorah and its utensils are to be made of a talent of pure gold. See that you make them according to the design being shown you on the mountain. Now you'll notice I have that word tongs in bold red. That's the word we want to focus in on. Now this word in Hebrew is the word melkochaim, and it comes from a verb root, lamed kof chet, right there in the middle, those three letters, which spell the word lechak, which means to take, like I take my glasses off the table. And so this is the root of the word tongs, because tongs, after all, are takers. Use tongs to take ice out of the ice bucket or to take salad out of the salad bowl. And so tongs were used with the menorah to what? Well, that's a question. What do you use tongs for when you have a menorah? What are they needed for? Well, <clears throat> it's believed that they were used to place the wicks into the, uh, the little bowls of the menorah where the oil was stored or, or was kept. But um, we also know that the tongs were used to take a coal from the outer altar, and that coal was then brought in to the holy place, and that hot coal was used to light the wicks. And here you can see uh, a picture of this being done. So you need tongs to do this, to light the menorah. They didn't have uh, Bic lighters or a book of matches to use back then. So the source of the heat to light the menorah were coals from the outer altar. Now, this word for tongs, milkochayim, is found only in the context of the menorah, for lighting the menorah, with one exception. And it's that one exception that we want to look at. 
But before we look at that one exception, let's look at the other passages that mention tongs in relation to the menorah. I'm going to list all of them. Here they are. Exodus 37:23, And he made its seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. Numbers 4, 9. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the menorah for the light with its lamps, its tongs, its trays, and all the vessels for oil with which it is supplied. And then moving on to 1 Kings 7.49, which describes the menorahs in Solomon's temple. He had more than one menorah there. The menorahs of pure gold, five on the south side and five on the north, before the inner sanctuary, the flowers, the lamps, and the tongs of gold. And this passage in 2 Chronicles 4, 20 and 21 uh, just reiterates basically the same thing concerning Solomon's temple. The menorahs and their lamps of pure gold to burn before the inner sanctuary as prescribed. The flowers, the lamps, and the tongs of purest gold. So as we can see, all the appearances, all the occurrences of this word Melchachim occur in the context of the menorah, of lighting the menorah. Now let's look at this one exception. And it is found in Isaiah chapter 6. And this is the amazing description of how God calls Isaiah to serve as a prophet, to speak God's words to the nation of Israel. So we'll start right with verse 1, Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Uh, let me pause for a second. These seraphim. Uh, seraphim are not like the cherubim. The seraphim are a different order of angels, and their name comes from the word saraph, which means to burn, to be a flame. And so we picture the seraphim as angels whose bodies, whose essence are flame. It'd be kind of strange to see. It's, it's hard to even imagine. But these flaming angels, these seraphim, are a key part of this story. So I just want you to have the same picture in your mind that I do. Seraphim, these burning ones. And so God called to one, uh, they called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Adonai of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Adonai of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, we're not quite sure, was the coal just resting in the palm of his hand? Or was the coal being held by tongs that were in his hand? Well, if a, an angel is made of flaming fire, he doesn't need tongs to take a coal from the altar. After all, he's made of fire. So I picture this as him using tongs anyway because there's a connection God wants us to make. And he takes this coal, he removes it from the altar fire, and he uses the tongs to bring this coal to Isaiah. And what does he do with this hot coal? 
verse 7, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So this one exception in the occurrence of the word tongs is not in the context of a menorah. It's used instead by a burning angel, a flaming angel, seraph, to take a hot coal from the outer altar, <clears throat> bring it in, and then touch Isaiah's lips with it. Now, I believe that when God uses a word in particular ways, he wants to teach something very specific. So all the occurrences of this word are using a coal from the altar to light a menorah, to give light inside the tabernacle. But now he's using a coal from the, the altar to purify Isaiah's lips. And what went forth from Isaiah's lips from this day on? Light. He purified Isaiah's light, lips, and out from him came light to Israel, to the nations, and even to us today, this light still burns. Because God's word is light, isn't it? I don't think it's coincidental that the first recorded words uh, that God spoke in the Bible are right there in the opening chapter of Genesis, Genesis 1. And Elohim said, he or let there be light. God spoke light. He just spoke it, and his word was the essence of light. And his word is still the essence of light today. And you're probably thinking of that verse in Psalms, Psalms 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that word lamp is the same one that is used to describe the individual uh, holders for wicks on the menorah. It's the word ner, and that's where we get the word manera, menorah. It's uh, a menorah, something that has several nares on it, several lamps, several lights together. But I put this verse here because I, I want to point out something that's interesting. In English, uh, this verse is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 words long, but in Hebrew it's only five words long. And in English, the phrase, your word, which is only one word in Hebrew, is right up at the front of the sentence. But in Hebrew, it's in the middle of the sentence. You'll notice that the Hebrew verse has five words. Ner, which means lamp. La rog le means my feet, or to my feet, a lamp to my feet. Divarecha, your word. So a lamp to my feet is your word. Vaor and a light, lintivati, to my path. You see what's going on here? The word divarecha, your word, is in the middle. It's right in the middle. So what happens is that these words form a menorah, don't they? with the word word, your word, right in the middle. It's the supporting branch that holds up everything else. This would not be lost on a Hebrew reader, but in our English, unfortunately, um, the words are put out of order. 
But what's going on here? What's the bottom line? Our speech is to bring light, the light of God's word, the light of God's spirit, of him himself to the world. Yeshua said, I am the light of the world. But then in the Sermon on the Mount, he looks at all of his followers and he says, you're the light of the world. And we derive our light from him. But you know, you can have two people. They look the same, they sound the same, and they can say the same words. But when one person speaks those words, <clears throat> they just fall flat onto the ground. But when this other person speaks those same words, they breathe life into you. They become light to you. They somehow inspire you. What is the difference? The one person has pure lips and the other one does not. And how were Isaiah's lips purified? It was a coal, not from a campfire, not from any other fire source, but from the altar. An altar is a place where one life is given for the sake of another. Whether the sacrifice is eaten or whether it's a whole burnt offering or sin offering, whatever, a thanksgiving offering, it's still where life is given for the sake of another. And only those who have become living sacrifices and have given their lives to God for the sake of God, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of others, only they are the ones whose lips, their holy lips, are pure and can speak forth words that are actually light. I want my words to be that way. Unfortunately, they often are not. This someone once said, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And I know that from personal experience. But I encourage you to be people who live close to the altar, who are living sacrifices, who give their bodies and their lips to God. And when you do, something changes more than just the way you talk. When you look again at this passage in Isaiah chapter 6, something happens to Isaiah when his lips are purified. Before the seraphim touches that hot coal to his lips, Isaiah is terrified. But after his lips are purified, God says, Who will go for us? Who shall I send? And I said, Pick me. What happened to this man? How did he go from being uh, absolutely terrified to be one who volunteers, who speaks up and says, I'll go for you. You know, when you've given your life as a living sacrifice, not only do your words give life, not only do your, your words and your speech become a menorah, a source of light to others, but there's a courage that God gives you and you're fearless, you're not afraid of anything. So I just challenge you. I challenge you to give your lives fully to God to be a living sacrifice because a person who's given themselves as a sacrifice is dead, aren't they? I am crucified with the Messiah. Nevertheless, I live. It is not me, but it's Messiah lives in me. 
you know what? Dead people aren't afraid of anything. And if you've truly given your life to the Lord, if you truly become a living sacrifice, it's impossible for you to be afraid. Dead men are not afraid. So I encourage you to give yourself away to the Lord. And let your life be hidden with Messiah and God. Don't take ownership of your life because you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Give yourself away free to God. And then I think we'll be able to understand better why people through the ages could go to their death, sometimes a horrible death, being burnt at stake or being eaten by lions or something else. And they could go with joy. They could go with courage without fear. It's because they'd already given their lives away. In their minds, they were already dead men. And as a dead person, they'd begun to experience true resurrection life. Can't experience resurrection until you've experienced death. Death has to become before resurrection life. And once you begin to experience a resurrection life, there is no room for fear anymore. That's what I aspire to be. And I hope that this teaching about purified lips will inspire you also to be someone whose lips have been touched with holy fire because you've given yourself to God. You become a living sacrifice on his altar. And you don't live for you anymore. You live for him and you live for others. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. And until next time, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Thank you for joining us for today's teaching. If the work of Torah Today Ministries has touched your life, please consider making a donation or sponsoring an upcoming video. As a video sponsor, you'll have an exclusive opportunity to memorialize a family member, celebrate a special event, or simply support the ongoing creation of similar content. Your tax-deductible contribution helps ensure that our teachings continue to reach all who are longing for truth. Click the link or visit our website to learn more. Amen.